shared the gospel with my parents, baptized them into Christ behind me. Uh, we became members at the early Church of Christ. It was Father's Day, June 16th, 1985, on the third row, 702 in the Goldenrod songbooks, Trust and Obey. When we walked with the Lord, I was on the front row. We had been up in Jim Hall's office the night before and had discussed what it meant to be a Christian. And on Father's Day, 1985, I was baptized into Christ by Jim Hall and the waters behind me. The Wednesday before, Jim Hall had baptized J.K. Perkins. The following Wednesday, he had baptized Christy Lancaster. The next Sunday, Joe Malin Joyner. Um, this place holds many memories. There are four teachers in the room that I had. I don't know if that's good or bad. Anyway, first grade, second grade, <laughs> two high school teachers in the room. Uh, more memories than I can, than I can imagine. Um, so many youth group folks uh, that, are, that are here, that have traveled to be back here. Uh, and it's just, you have no idea. Um, it's amazing. Given a lot of thought into what I wanted to say today. On a day such as this, when you have an opportunity to go back and speak to the group that raised you, uh, in some ways it's your fault uh, that I've turned out the way I have. But for the most part, things have ended up well. What do you say when you come back? Uh, lots of things you could do. I am, I am a preacher. I'm a preacher for the College Avenue Church of Christ in El Dorado, Arkansas. I've been there going on right at 15 years, uh, six years as a youth minister, six years as an associate, and then three as the senior minister. So I preach every Sunday. But what do you say when you get to go home? Uh, and this is home. Make no mistake. Part of you wants to go back and shake folks up and really challenge people. Step on their toes. Give them something to think about and then drive off. And that, that's tempting. <laughs> it's tempting, but it's mean. And so I'm not going to do that. There's a part of you that wants to come back and just blow sunshine and just talk about love and encouragement and how it's all good, but it's not all good, and so that doesn't seem like the right way to go either. There's a part of me that wants to tell you who to vote for. There's a part of me that wants to tell you who not to vote for. That's a better sermon. Uh, and there's another sermon on whether I think you should vote at all, and that, that doesn't seem to be the, the platform that I've been given to talk about, to talk about politics. I'm not going to do that either. This is what I think I should preach. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up with me to Romans the 12th chapter. I think if Paul had a chance to preach, if he had a chance to go home and tell folks what he thought they really needed to hear, if he could encourage and challenge and edify and build folks up, I think he would look to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, because I think there is a lot of wisdom in those verses, verses 9 through 21, some 12 or 13 verses. And I want to spend some time in those today. If your Bible has subheadings like mine, it probably says something about the marks of a true Christian or traits of a true Christian. And there's a lot of wisdom in what he is saying. I love the practicality of Scripture. If it was just theology, if it was just rhetoric, if it was just philosophy and deep stuff, that would be impressive. But I live in the real world, and so do you. And every now and then, I need you to say, this must be an Arkansas thing, you shuck it where the hogs can eat it. Anybody here say that? Okay, fine. And we learned it up there. Anyway, so you shuck it where the hogs can eat it. And that is where you get it down to the point where this is great, but am I going to take this? My, my saying is from the, from the pulpit to the pew to the parking lot. When you leave here is what I'm about to say going to make a kingdom difference to when you go back out into the world tomorrow. And I believe yes. I've got two points. I fought the urge to have three points in a poem. It's just too easy. We're going to have two points. They're going to be good, and you're never going to forget them, and you're going to apply them to your lives, and it's going to change the way you live. Fair enough? Here we go. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. I want you to see the very first thing that Paul is going to do is he's going to lay out the idea about love. When you talk about Paul, a lot of times we know 1 Corinthians 13, which is the chapter of love. That is the love is, the love is, the love is. And it's important when you get into Romans 12, beginning in verse 9, he begins by saying, if you're going to talk about the marks of a true Christian, he begins with the word love. 
And he says love must be sincere or love must be genuine, depending on the version that you're holding. And what it's saying is, is that love should be honest and sincere. We live in a world where hypocrisy runs rampant. You agree with that? We live in a world where people are used to not being able to take what you say at face value anymore. We've lied to each other too much. And so when Paul says, I want your love to be sincere, when I want it to be genuine, I think Paul is saying you've got to be transparent so that the world knows that there's something different about you. And when we get that way, I think it enables us, if you're still there in chapter 12, if you look in the first two verses, I think it makes verses 1 and 2 a whole lot easier. When Paul talks about us presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, then you look at verse 2 where he says, I don't want you to be conformed to this world, but rather I want you to be what? Transformed. I want you to be transformed. Now that takes place if we're not hypocritical. That takes place if our love is genuine and if our love is sincere. And the world sees that. The world has a real ability to be able to pick out when Christians, when, they, when their talk models their walk. They have a real ability to pick out insincerity and inconsistencies in our walk. And the sick part is they actually enjoy picking it out. But when you find a solid Christian that is being salt and light and their love is genuine and sincere, it makes a kingdom difference. So that's there in verse 9. It also says if you love what is genuine, you will abhor or hate what is evil. And I love that because if we really believe, if our love is sincere and genuine, we cannot help but hate what is evil. That's not a push. I don't have to tell you to hate what is evil if you love love. If your love is genuine, you've seen what sin, you've seen what evil has done in the lives of marriages and in relationships of all kinds and in people's lives filled with sin, guilt, and regret. And it's not hard for me to say as a Christian, as a believer, that, I could, that my love needs to be sincere and I need to abhor or hate what is evil. Paul doesn't have to tell us that. The deeper we get in our walk and our relationship with God, the more the things of this world don't shine as much. The temptations aren't quite as tempting. Because we have learned to keep our love sincere and hate what is evil. And then the third part of that makes sense as well. If your love is genuine and if you hate what is evil, it only makes sense that you're going to hold fast to what is good. That the good things in life you're going to cling to. That's why you come to church, because you cling to what is good. You want your love to be sincere and you understand the importance of a community of believers. That you don't have to do this on your own. And aren't we glad for that? That we have church bodies, and the church body serves many purposes, but one of which is the opportunity to be able to come together and find encouragement. That if I've had a rough week, there's a good chance somebody in this room hasn't, and they're going to build me up, and vice versa. And it enables us to be able to have that talk and that be able to have that bond between us. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. I love that. Because if there's one place where we've got to get along, it's in the churches. Amen? I'm, you got to talk back. I'm sorry. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I don't come often. So you're getting, well, anyway, so here we go. We're going to love each other with brotherly love. We have to go out of our way to make sure that we're loving each other. Because again, the watching world is waiting. And if we're fighting in here and we go outside and say, God's love, they say, really? Because I'm watching you and I'm not seeing it. But if we look at each other with brotherly love and we find ways on how we can build each other up, then the world sees that and the world picks up on that. And then it takes it one step further. And I love it. It's still there in verse 10. If we love each other with brotherly affection, we'll outdo one another in showing honor. That means we look for ways to honor one another. We look for ways to encourage one another. We look for ways where it's not as much about me as it is about you and about him. 
It reminds me of John chapter 3 with John the Baptist. John the Baptist has his disciples. Jesus has his disciples. They're starting to kind of yin back and forth. And John the Baptist says something really powerful. As he's talking about this wedding analogy, in John chapter 3 and verse 30, John the Baptist says, He, he being Christ, he must increase and I must decrease. John the Baptist understood for there to be peace that had to be more about Christ than about John the Baptist. His role was that of forerunner, and he did it well. But it was never about him. It was always about Christ. Likewise, in verse 10, as we seek to love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor, that means it's not about me, and it never has been, and it never will be. But it's how can I build you up? How can I encourage you? And I want you to know, if I could just, if I could move off one soapbox to another, don't ever neglect the opportunity to show kindness. Don't ever neglect the opportunity to show encouragement and to build other people up. And maybe you still ought to get snail mail. Mail and letters in the mailbox. Not emails, text, Facebook, Twitter. Yeesh, there's enough of that, right? I lo- I, I'm 40, I'll be 42 next month. I still love to get mail. If somebody takes the time to write me a letter, put a stamp on it, and mail it to me, I, I, I don't care. I, I'll check for money. I, I was raised. But anyway, after there's no money, I want to see what's inside. Because someone took the time to write a word of encouragement to me. And it wasn't a text. It was, I mean, texts are good. Texts beat nothing. Emails are fun. But when somebody says, I, I wrote this out. That means a lot to me. Martin Martin, Dr. Martin, right here. There was never, I, I, I probably, I wish I knew the date because it would be pretty cool. Roughly 30 years ago, I did my very first sermon right here. And the next day or two, I get a letter from Dr. Martin. Now, Dr. Martin's a busy doctor. But he took the time to write me a handwritten letter that I'm still talking about 30 years later. And he's a doctor, but his handwriting was really good. But I've never forgotten what it felt like to get a letter from an adult that encouraged me. And I'm 42. And I try to do that too. And I encourage you to do that. As we love one another in brotherly love and as we outdo one another uh, in showing honor, we find ways. That's a mark of a true Christian. My first word, I told you I had two words. My first word, I should have said this earlier, is proactive. My first point today is proactive. I want you to be proactive in your walk with God. Verses 9 through 13 is Paul telling us to be proactive. If you're proactive in your walk, your love's going to be genuine. If you're proactive in your walk, you're going to hate evil. If you're proactive in your walk, you're going to hold fast to what is good and love your brother and outdo one another in giving honor because you're proactive. There's too much reactive stuff going on in this country right now. We're reacting to the election. We're reacting to everything. We're reacting. We're reacting. That isn't how we're called to live. We're called to be proactive in what we're doing. And this is what Paul is laying out here. So our first word is we must be proactive. Let's go on to verse 11. Never be lacking or slothful in zeal. Be fervent or aglow, if you have the RSV. I like that. Aglow in the Spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That word seek there in verse 13 in Greek means to pursue or to practice. I love that. That as we are being proactive, we don't wait for needs to come to us, but rather we open our eyes and we see the world as God sees it. We see the world as Christ sees it. And we, we, we are proactive accordingly. If you've got your Bibles, keep your finger in Romans. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in the churches of Christ, we tend to hang out in verse 38, pitch a tent and stay there, but it goes on. 
And if you look in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, you kind of get the beginnings of the early church and what takes place. And there's something I want you to see. If our first word is proactive, I want you to see how the first church grows and how they respond and how they interact with one another. And I want you to think to yourself as we're reading verses 42 through 47, is this a sacrifice or is this something that they're doing willingly and proactively? Is it something they have to do or do they get to do what they're about to do? Acts 2, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, again, as you read that passage, and you remember our word is proactive, it's that mentality that the early church doesn't say, well, we have got to go to church three times this week, and we've got to tithe. We must do this, and we must do that. That's not what you read. When you read of the early church in Acts chapter 2, you see folks that say, I've got these goods, I have these possessions. Is there anybody that can use them? That they sought out opportunities to get together, to have fellowship. That they sought out opportunities not only to eat together, but to spend time in the Word and to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. And I get the picture of the early church in Acts 2 that it's not about a drudgery and it's not about share, it's not about a sacrifice and how much do I have to do to be good enough to get into heaven. That's not what I read. What I read is an early church that is organically growing, that God has placed a spirit within them, that as needs arrive, they're already on them, that they're together, that they know each other's needs, that they're exercising brotherly love. And it's not a drudgery to be together, but something that they long for. And as a result, the church grows as a result of that because it's contagious, because the world sees genuine love played out in real and practical ways. They see how they take care of their own. They see how they take care of others, and that's contagious. They want to be a part of that, and that's good stuff. All right, so here we go. The first word, you tell me, the first word in the lesson is what? Proactive. Very good. Let's say it again. What's the first word? Proactive. We're called to be proactive and not reactive. We're called to go out and be what God has called us to be. Now, he takes it one step further in verses 14 through the end of the chapter. If the first part tells us to be proactive, the second part is going to call us to be radical. That's my second word. The first word is, as Christians, we are called to be proactive. The second word is we are called to be radical. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Because there is so much we can do in this world to be good enough. Right? If you watched Happy Days, if you really want to be cool on Happy Days, who did you have to be? The Fonz. Would the Fonz be cool these days? Not so much. It's kind of a moving target, right? If the only thing you had to do to be bad was to wear a black leather jacket, it's lost some of its punch, right? If you really want to stand out and be a rebel nowadays, what do you need to do? We go to church. You believe in God. You treat people better than they treat you. That's radical, right? What you see in verses 14 through 21 in Romans 12 is Paul is telling us you need to be proactive. You need to love. You need to outdo one another. It needs to be sincere. And you need to look for ways to extend hospitality to others. But then in verses 14 through 21, he says, I'm going to take this one step further. 
You need to be radical in how you treat other people. And not just the ones that like you, but the ones that don't like you. And Jesus touches on this in the Sermon on the Mount as well. But look with me at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, for years I read that and went, well, we shouldn't curse people that don't like us. Well, that's, that's not really what it says, is it? What it really says, the first word in verse 14 is we are to bless those who persecute us. Well, that's a whole different thing. If I'm just supposed to just not make ways with those that don't like me, that's, that's the world's standpoint because we all, we all just want to keep the peace and we all just want to you know, not make waves. That's not what Paul says. Paul says that those who persecute you not only do not get even, you bless them. You pray for those that are making your life hard. Well, that's radical. And Paul says exactly. In verse 15, continuing on, it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And again, if you just read through that the first time, you'd think, well, that just makes sense. We'll, 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 we'll be excited with those who are excited and we'll cry with those who cry. But it goes deeper than that in a radical lifestyle. Because a lot of times, I'm just going to be honest because we're all friends here, most of us. If we're to rejoice with those who rejoice is a struggle. Anybody else struggle with that? Sometimes it's hard for me to be happy for someone's good fortune. I admitted it. I said it. said it out loud. Because there's a part of me, my human nature, that says, man, I wish that was me. Anybody else do that? Am I the only one? Thank you so much. I was starting to feel lonely. All right. But there are certain times when it is begrudging for me to, to rejoice in someone else's success. I may not want them to, I mean, I may not want bad things to happen to them, but there's a human part of me that goes, I have a hard time getting excited for them when I wish it was me. Paul says the radical way is you rejoice with those who rejoice. When good fortune falls on someone, you rejoice right alongside them. And we mourn with those who mourn. Whew. That's hard to do. Because there's sometimes that we think people got their just comeuppance. That's, I think that's something we made up, right? Sometimes when people get what you think they deserve and it's hard to go, I'm going to weep with them because they're hurting. Uh -uh. We think they got what they deserve. Yet Paul calls us to a radical form of love where we rejoice with those who rejoice. But the flip side is when there's people that are in sorrow and they're sad, we don't judge their morals, we don't judge their values, but do we weep with those who weep? Folks, that's radical. I don't have to agree with what's going on in your world, but I can see when you're sad and I can, I, I can be sad with you. I can love you and I can pray for you without having to condone everything that you do. Paul calls us to be radical. And when we live that radical kind of lifestyle, the world will notice. We won't have to point it out. They'll see it. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Again, I go back to John the Baptist in John 3 and verse 30. If we are constantly finding ways that we can make God greater and ourselves less, it changes everything. Terry Campbell and I, one of my good friends, we had uh, breakfast this morning at Skillets. Um, anybody else had breakfast at Skillets? Did we like Skillets? Yeah, it was fine. All right, so we were having breakfast at Skillets, and we got to meet Crystal. Crystal's our waitress. Uh, a, a man much smarter than me years ago said, don't ever eat a meal without asking the waitress how you can pray for her. Okay? By the way, I've never had anybody turn me down. I've yet to have the waitress go, I'd rather you not pray for me and my needs. No one's ever been offended by that. So we talked to Crystal, and if you go to Skillets, ask for Crystal. She's a sweet lady, and she'll tell you her story. Um, and tip her well. I'll say that, too. That's radical, right? Crystal's a super sweet lady, and she told us her story. And as we go through this, I mean, we just went for breakfast just to catch up, and the next thing you know, we're enveloped in this woman's life because we said, how can we pray for you? And then she, started, she told us how we could pray for her, and then she started preaching to us 
Um, and so it really worked out well. Kind of had a good God moment there just because we didn't go, well, she's to help. She's just here to serve us and to bring me more water when I get thirsty. That's Crystal's role on this planet is to make sure Terry and I have a great breakfast. If we approach life that way, we're just like the rest of the world. But if you're radical and you're proactive, you look at Miss Crystal because you've got to know her name and say, how can I pray for you today? And when she tears up and tells you, do it. Because it makes a kingdom difference. All right, moving on. Verse 17, again, radical. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Again, we just this eye for an eye mentality. We go above and beyond that. And Paul says, I know it's hard. Jesus says, it's not going to be easy. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it's when you fast, you don't do it to be seen. When you give, you don't do it to be seen. When you pray, you don't do it to be seen. And when we understand that it's not about us, and that it's never been about us, but it's always been about glorifying Him, it makes this humility thing that much easier. But when we don't repay evil with evil, but we repay evil with good, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, again, here's your radical part, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Well, who does that? Well, Christians do that. Proactive, radical Christians do that. If, you're, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Folks, it's radical. One of the speakers that I like is Patrick Mead. I know several of you know who Patrick Mead is. Patrick has a quote that I really like, and he says, Love people until they finally ask you why. And I like that. When you were just above and beyond in how you love people, and they finally go, what's the deal with you? They go, well, it's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not so that I'll get noticed by you. It's not so that the limelight falls on me. But it's because of all that God has done, in the, done for me and in my life, if I can pay that back in how I treat other people. It's in John chapter 13 and verse 35. I don't want to misquote it. But in John chapter 13 and verse 35, he says, you'll be my disciples. Well, hold on. It's in John chapter 13 and verse 35 where it says, A new command I give you. Here we go. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's what Paul wants us to get out of it. When we look at the marks of a true Christian, I believe it's twofold. Our first word today is we must be what? Proactive, And the second word is, as we deal with relationships, those that like us, and more importantly, those that don't, we must be what? Radical. We must be radical in which the way in which we live our lives. And when we do, it will change everything. I know what most of you do. I don't know what all of you do. But if Jesus did your job tomorrow, how would it look different? If Jesus was a teacher, if Jesus was a real estate agent, if Jesus was a doctor, if Jesus was a student... If Jesus did what you did for a living, if he showed up, undercover boss, if he showed up tomorrow to do your job, would anybody notice the difference? Because Jesus would be proactive. He would be genuine. And he would go out of his way to make sure that everybody else was taken care of. And he would be radical about it. How about you? How about you? This is absolutely one of my favorite places on the planet. And it has been a privilege and a joy to stand before you and talk about God. 
I don't know how it gets much better than this. I do. I think we're going to Underwoods next. So then after that, <laughs> then after that, that's how you would top it off. That's how you do it. Mission statement at College Avenue Church of Christ is we're here to love God, love others, and share the good news. And yours is very similar. It's on the front page of your bulletin. When it's about loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, when it's about loving your neighbor as yourself, and when you share the good news that how Jesus took a mess, he became a Messiah, and that gave us a message of which we're called to be messengers of. When we take that to heart, it changes everything. This morning, if you're not a child of God, I pray that you'll consider such. To know what it's like to have hope and to understand before you ever walk in. One of my favorite John Hollinger lines, when you become a Christian, it ain't easy. John, it's one of my favorite conversations with John Hollinger. He talks about the fact, he doesn't try to talk people out of being baptized. He just lays it down that it is a commitment. And if you're getting in just for the heaven benefits, then you better count it again. Because you're walking into a war. So I ask him, if you are not a Christian, it's something you need to take into account. Obviously, there's an eternity with God, and that's the most important thing. But on this side of eternity, Satan works even harder. But it's well worth it. Maybe you're a Christian and you have not been proactive. Maybe you allowed this world to make you reactive and you're just spinning. And you need to be proactive. Maybe your love needs to be more sincere. Maybe you need to be more out there as far as loving your brothers and taking advantage of opportunities and doing it with joy so that you can share, not as a sacrifice. Maybe you're an apathetic Christian. It talks about in Revelation about the lukewarm folks and you need to be more radical in the way in which you live your life. I haven't been here in a while, but I can tell you this is a church that prays and encourages and loves and supports. And if you raise your hand and you say, I'm not as proactive or as radical as I can be, should be, and want to be, there are folks in this building that will love you, that will pray for you, that will mentor you, disciple you, and walk alongside you. And it's been a privilege to grow up here. And it's been a privilege to see the good things that are going on. This morning, if we can help you in any way with any spiritual need, we ask that you come now as together we stand and sing.